Welcome to this podcast by The Rocks Church. We hope you find it challenging and inspiring. For more information, visit therocks.church. Well, good morning, beautiful people. Good to see you all. Glad to be together again. And uh, thank you so much, Janine, for the powerful and beautiful reminder that small things done with great love can actually have a profound impact. And it's amazing what a small act of generosity can do. And uh, like Janine, I do not have a gift for making uh, passion fruit sponge, but I do have a gift for eating it. So uh, feel free to pass that on, Janine, to your mom, and uh, I'd be happy to help her out. Awesome. Well, good to see you all, and I do hope that you're uh, enjoying the long weekend. Thank God for public holidays and for sunny Sundays. I hope you've got great plans for tomorrow, and hopefully the rain stays away. But it's good to be together again, and I also just want to add my welcome to uh, anyone who is here today for the first time. We're thrilled to have you here. Please just relax and make yourself at home. Uh, we fully understand that this is church, and so what we do is a little churchy, and that might be a bit weird for you if you're not a person of faith or you're new to the whole Christian experience. But I assure you, everybody in the room is as normal as you, and we're all just very ordinary people who have come to know an extraordinary God. And our lives have been profoundly changed by His grace and His goodness to us. Uh, we sing a lot about Jesus. We talk a lot about Jesus because Jesus is honestly the most wonderful person you could ever meet. And our hope and prayer is that you meet Him too and that His love and His grace changes your life like it's changed ours. Uh, Jesus is the leader the world has been waiting for. Uh, he is the only one able and qualified to lead us all back in a right relationship with God. And so He's worth following. And I can only encourage you to explore what following Jesus would look like for you. So as Janine said, today we're wrapping up our series called The Way of the Wise. And over the last couple of months, we've been talking about the wisdom of God in the Word of God that's there to empower us to live lives that better honor God. And it's been a really helpful and practical series. I've certainly enjoyed it. I hope you have too. And part of what I love about the wisdom of God is that it's so intensely practical. In fact, the Old Testament Hebrew word for wisdom is the word hokmah, H-O-K-M-A-H, and it's literally translated as skill. So that word, when it appears in the Old Testament, is either translated as wisdom or skill, but it gives you some kind of insight into what the nature of God's wisdom is actually like. It's life skill. It's skill for living. And when we talk about God's wisdom, we're talking about how to live life in a way that is successful, a way that honors God and blesses others. And in a very real sense, we've just kind of touched the surface of the subject in the series. So maybe next year we'll do part two and we'll go a bit deeper and look at various aspects of the wisdom of God. But today we're going to wrap up with a message that I've titled, The Path to Wisdom. And over in Proverbs chapter four, the wisdom writer of the Old Testament exhorts us with these words in verse seven, eight. He says, wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And in all you're getting, get understanding. Exalt her and she will promote you. She will bring you honor when you embrace her. In other words, the wisdom writer is saying in all that you pursue in life, and we pursue a lot of things, make sure you prioritize the pursuit of wisdom because wisdom comes with an enormous amount of blessing and benefit. In fact, if you dive into the chapters that follow in Proverbs and you do an in-depth study on it, you'll discover that Proverbs tells us that the wisdom of God will add seven things to us. I'm going to share them with you briefly. I'm not going to elaborate on them. I just want to highlight them and bring them to your attention. They'll be up on screen, so feel free to jot them down or screenshot it. Seven things that wisdom will add to your life. Number one, peace. Number two, prosperity. Number three, protection. Number four, preservation, which is long life. Number five, promotion. Number six, power. And number seven, pleasure. 
How awesome is that? It sounds like a pretty good list. I don't know about you, but I'd like to have more of that in my life. And so Proverbs tells us that wisdom is going to protect you, prosper you, promote you, preserve you, empower you, and fill your heart with peace and your life with pleasure. Sounds like something worth pursuing to me. Now, I've discovered over the years that many want what wisdom offers, but not what wisdom requires. Many people want what wisdom offers, but not what wisdom requires. By that, I simply mean we're quite enthusiastic about the idea of more peace and prosperity and promotion and protection and preservation. We like the idea of that, but we're not so enthusiastic about the demands that wisdom places upon us, the requirements that wisdom has of us, things like the requirement for discipline or for self-control or for selflessness or for kingdom priority, or for practicing generosity. Those demands and those requirements are a little harder to accept. But we have to recognize that if we're going to become people of wisdom, and if we're going to grow in our wisdom, then we have to be willing to embrace the demand of wisdom and submit to the requirements of wisdom. And that includes acknowledging that there is a pathway to wisdom. There is a process to acquiring wisdom. Wisdom is not a guarantee. Wisdom is not a given. It doesn't just happen automatically, and it doesn't happen instantaneously. You've got to walk the pathway towards wisdom, and you have to prioritize it and pursue it. Otherwise, it does not become yours. And nowhere is the pathway to wisdom more beautifully demonstrated or exemplified than in the life of our Lord Jesus. And so today, we're going to look at Jesus' own example at a very early stage in his life of how he chose to walk the path towards wisdom. Now, I remember many, many years ago when I, I first made the commitment to become a follower of Jesus. I was in my late teens, and I had recently made a decision to become a follower of Jesus and kind of submit my life to His Lordship and His leadership and put my trust and my faith in Him. And I had a, just an insatiable hunger, right, for, for His teaching, and I, I was um, immersed in His, his Word um, for many, many hours. And, and uh, I remember sitting one day, and I was reading the Gospel of Luke, and I came across a statement that was made about Jesus when he was just 12 years old. And it was the kind of statement that just leapt off the page and kind of just, boom, punched me in the face. I don't know if you've ever had that kind of experience. When you're reading the Bible, and you, you come across something, and it's like it just leaps off the page and just grabs your attention. It just arrests your heart, right? It was one of those statements. And it's found in Luke chapter 2, verse 52, and this is what it says. It says, so Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and all the people. And I read that and I thought to myself, wow, that's awesome. I want that to be my experience. I want that to be my portion. I want to grow in wisdom and I want to grow in stature and I want to grow in favor with God and I want to grow in favor with people. And so I literally just closed my Bible right there and I closed my eyes and I turned it into a prayer. And I said, God, would you be gracious enough to allow that to be my experience? God, would you help me make that my portion? I want to grow in wisdom. And I want to grow in stature. And I want to grow in favor with you. And I want to grow in favor with people. And to be honest with you, I've been praying that prayer for the last 30 years. God, help me to grow. Help me to grow in wisdom. Help me to grow in favor with you and with others. And I remember when I prayed that prayer, no sooner had I uttered those words, then I sensed the Holy Spirit speak to my heart, and he said, if you want what he had, then do what he did. I thought, wow, 
okay, well, what did he do? <laughs> I quickly opened up my Bible, went back to Luke chapter 2, and I started searching around in the verses around that statement, went back into the preceding verses to see if I could uncover what it was that Jesus did in the lead up to that statement made concerning him. And I found it. And I want to share it with you today. So we're going to read in Luke chapter 2. We'll go all the way back to verse 41, just for the sake of context. And listen to what it says. It says, Every year Jesus' parents went up to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. When Jesus was 12 years old, they attended the festival as usual. Now, can I just hit pause here for a moment and point out that Jesus' parents, Mary and Joseph, made the point of taking him up to the temple for the Passover festival every year. They did it continually, they did it consistently, they did it regularly, they did it as a matter of habit. And I am fully convinced that Mary and Joseph would have done the same with every other aspect of faith life that they would have had as a Jewish family living in the first century, that they would have been as faithful about attending temple and attending synagogue and exposing their children to the elements of tradition and teaching and theology and doctrine that shape faith life for them as a community. I'm fully convinced that Jesus' parents were committed to the consistency of exposing their children to the elements of faith that shaped life for them. And, and parents, I want you to note that you have the power to position your children in environments where their hearts will be exposed to the grace of God and the truth of God and the purpose of God for their lives. And if you are a parent of young children here today, then I know in a sense I'm preaching to the choir because your kids are probably back there in the children's ministry facilities right now, hearing the wisdom of God, having their hearts exposed to the truth of God and learning and discovering their purpose in God. And all I can do is commend you and say, well done, keep it up because I know it's hard. Right? Sometimes it's hard just to get them out of bed, never mind get them in the church. So the fact that you got them dressed and got them in the car and got them here, well done, man. That was brilliant. Keep up the good work. But just before you think that Mary and Joseph were like the perfect parents ever, listen to what happens next. Verse 42, it says, After the celebration was over, they started home to Nazareth. But Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't miss him at first because they assumed that he was among the other travelers. But when he didn't show up that evening, they started looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they couldn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to search for him there. Just when you thought Mary and Joseph were like the best parents ever, they go ahead and lose the Son of God. <laughs> Moms and dads, have you ever like, kind of lost your, parents, your kids? Anybody ever like forgotten to pick your kids up from school or maybe dropped them on their heads when they were babies or hurt them in some way? In, I mean, I've done that, right? We've all, we've all done that, parents. But at least you can console yourself. You did not lose the Savior of the world. Luke goes on in the next verse to say, three days later, they lost him for three days. Can you imagine how stressful that would have been? Three days later, they finally discovered him in the temple, sitting among the religious leaders and teachers, listening to them and asking all, and all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. I mean, what a relief. I'm pretty sure they would have been glad to find him there. And Luke goes on to tell us that Jesus was grounded for a whole month after that. Just kidding, right? <laughs> Not really. All right. Now, I, I grew up um, in and around church life and in a Christian home. And for whatever reason, I, I grew up with this idea that 
At the age of 12, Jesus was found by his parents in the temple teaching the Jewish religious leaders. I, I don't know why that thinking was there. Somebody might have taught it that way or presented it to me like that, and it just kind of stuck, and I never really questioned it or challenged it or thought anything about it. But I just remember having this vivid mental image of Jesus at 12 years of age in the temple teaching the Jewish religious leaders, and everyone was amazed at him. But I think you will agree if you look closely at that scripture, that is not what Luke is saying at all. Jesus was not in the temple at age 12 teaching the Jewish religious leaders. In fact, notice verse 46 says that Jesus was sitting among the religious teachers, listening to them and asking questions. That, friends, is not the posture and position of a teacher. That is the posture and position of a learner. Now, it does say that they were amazed at his understanding. That's the Greek word sunesis, his ability to synthesize, his ability to put two and two together. So clearly he was a bright boy. He was intelligent. But he was not there to teach. He was there to learn. And here at the tender age of 12, Jesus was modeling for us through his own example what the pathway to wisdom really is. And he highlights through his own example three things that all of us can do and should do if we want to grow in wisdom. And I want to share them with you this morning. Number one, the first is this. Be careful where you sit. Be careful where you sit. Luke says that Jesus sat at the feet of the teachers. When I say be careful where you sit, I'm not talking literally. I don't mean like be careful where you place your posterior, although you probably do want to be thoughtful about what you do with that too. I'm talking metaphorically like be careful who and what you allow into your life as a source of influence. Be thoughtful and careful about the environments into which you insert yourself Understanding that those environments are going to be an influence over your heart and your soul. Listen to what the psalmist says in Psalm chapter 1 and verse 1. He says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. In other words, the psalmist is essentially saying the same thing. The environments that you place yourself in and the company that you choose to keep is going to determine whether you grow in wisdom or you grow in folly. So be thoughtful and careful about where you choose to position yourself. And I find it astounding that at age 12, Jesus had enough sense to know that he needed to put himself at the feet of those who could expound the Word of God to him in a way that helped him grow in his understanding of it, men who were qualified to teach the theology and the doctrine of Scripture, people who were able to shape his faith life and his spirituality. Of all the places Jesus could have gone, he went to the temple, he went to the house of God, and he sat at the feet of the men of God. And it kind of begs a question, and this is a question we all have to ask ourselves, is what environments are we putting ourselves in? At whose feet are we sitting? Whose voice are we choosing to listen to? Who have we allowed to be an influence over what we believe, what we think, how we behave, how we live? And the truth of the matter is, for so many people today, the primary source of influence over their beliefs and their behaviors and their values and their convictions is the entertainment industry. If you think about the sheer amount of time that we spend exposing our hearts and our minds to what comes at us through the television screen 
or in movies or through on online social media platforms or, or streaming platforms. The sheer volume of material that we consume through those various platforms has a profound influence and impact on how we think and how we behave. And that is even more true for our children. Parents, if, if you let your young children spend four or five hours on YouTube, but then bring them to church for one hour every three weeks, don't be surprised when they grow up not knowing God. It just doesn't work that way. Now, I'm not anti-culture. I'm not a lot. I'm not saying we should batten down the hatches and withdraw from the world and not have anything to do with any of those things. That's not what I'm saying at all. All I'm saying is be thoughtful and careful and intentional about what you expose your heart to and what you expose the hearts of your children to as sources of influence. Because whatever you allow, you authorize. Whatever you permit, you empower. And whatever you bring into your life and into your home as a source of influence is ultimately going to shape the heart of your home. And so you have to be really thoughtful and careful about it. And can I encourage you as you give consideration to that, to make a decision to make the Word of God your primary source of wisdom. In all the sources that you expose your heart and mind to, make the Word of God the primary source of your wisdom. Because the Scriptures reveal the wisdom of God and the way of God and the will of God. Listen to what David said in Psalm 119 verse 99. He said, I have more understanding than all my teachers. For your testimonies are my meditation. I am wiser than my elders because I keep your precepts. David's saying, hey, I'm a young man, but I have more wisdom than my elders because I've made a commitment to studying your word. I have more wisdom than my teachers because I've made your precepts my meditation. I have chosen to hide your word in my heart, and that has made me wise for life. And what I love about this statement and the example of Jesus at age 12 is that it reminds us that we can grow in wisdom. Right? Nobody is born with a wisdom quotient at birth. You don't have a fixed assignment of wisdom. You can grow in wisdom, and you can grow in wisdom from as young as 12. Wisdom is not necessarily the product of age and experience. As someone once rightly said, sometimes wisdom doesn't come with age. Sometimes age shows up all by itself. Now, it is true that there is a wisdom to be gained from age and experience, but it's not a given that you will gain it if you don't pursue it, if you don't prioritize it, if you don't know how to receive it, you can live the entirety of your life and completely miss it. And of course, the younger you get it, the better it is. I mean, there's no point acquiring wisdom at 85, is there? because you don't have a lot much more time to go to apply that wisdom, right? The younger you get it, the more valuable wisdom is. And so the encouragement of Scripture is get it as soon as you possibly can. And how do you get it? You get it by prioritizing the Word of God. In 2 Timothy 3 verse 16, Paul encouraging his young son in the faith says to him, you have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus, right? So simply, the Scriptures are encouraging us to be thoughtful and intentional about who and what you allow into your life as a source of influence. And this is not only about the environments and the contexts in which you place yourself. This is about the people, the people that you allow into your life to speak into your life. Now, in Proverbs 13, verse 20, it says, He who walks with wise men will be wise but the companion of fools will be destroyed. You walk with wise men, you become wise. You walk with foolish men, you become foolish. You walk with the cynical, you become cynical. 
Walk with the negative, you become negative. Walk with the passionate and the enthusiastic, you'll become passionate and enthusiastic. You become like the people you associate with. So ask yourself the question, who am I associating with? Whose personal space am I pushing myself into? The problem with us as human beings is we tend to gravitate naturally towards people who share our weaknesses. And we do that because it's comforting, it's assuring, right? It's not threatening. If you're hanging out with people who are all weak in the same way that you are. But if you want to grow in wisdom, you've got to purposely push yourself into the personal space of people who are strong where you are weak. People who are getting it right in areas of life where you're getting it wrong. It's the only way you can grow. It's uncomfortable, it's intimidating, it's confronting, but that, friends, is the path to wisdom. So stop and ask yourself the question, who am I allowing into my life as a source of influence? Where are the wise men and women that I am exposing myself to in order to shape my heart and life? So that's number one, right? Be careful where you sit. Be thoughtful and intentional about the environments you place yourself in and the people you allow into your life as a source of influence. Then the second thing we see Jesus doing is it says that Jesus not only sat at the feet of the teachers, but he listened to them. He listened to them. And wisdom says that we should spend more time listening than speaking. Spend more time listening than speaking. In fact, somewhere in Proverbs it says, uh, in the multitude of words, sin is not lacking. In other words, the more you speak, the more likely you are to sin. So it's best to just <laughs> close your lips and not say too much, right? Now, I know that listening is probably harder for some than it is for others. But nevertheless, wisdom is the reward you get for listening when you would rather speak. Wisdom is the reward you get for listening when you would rather speak. And more often than not, we would rather speak than listen. Uh, Epictetus, the Greek philosopher, said, Every man has been given one mouth and two ears so that we can listen twice as much as we speak. I think there's truth in that, as hard as it is. Uh, James, the half-brother of Jesus, kind of echoes that Greek philosophical wisdom in James 1 verse 19. When he says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry. Right? So knowledge speaks, but wisdom listens. And in fact, if you go to the Old Testament book of Proverbs and just read it through, just take even the first five or six chapters, read it through this afternoon, and notice how often the phrase repeats, um, listen to my instruction, or turn your ear to my word, or open your ear to my teaching. Right, constantly, right throughout that wisdom writing, there's an exhortation to listen, 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 because listening is the path to wisdom. Uh, Proverbs 12 verse 15 says, fools think their own way is right, but the wise listen to others. And listening is actually harder than we realize. Listening is not the same as hearing. Hearing is a sense that we all have naturally. We all have the ability to hear sounds kind of in the environment, and we're all hearing all of the time. But listening is not hearing. Listening is taking the gift of hearing and using it in a very deliberate and intentional, disciplined way in order to take what you are hearing and process it. So listening takes discipline. Listening takes focus. Listening takes intention. And most of us don't listen. We only hear. In fact, even when you're in conversation with somebody and they're talking to you, very often what you're doing is not listening. You are preparing to speak. So while they're talking, you're formulating in your mind what it is you're going to say as soon as they shut up, <laughs> especially in an argument. Have you ever noticed that? Like if you're in an argument with your spouse and they're saying something, 
you're thinking, well, as soon as you stop talking, I'm going to tell you this, 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 and this, right? It's how we're wired as human beings. In fact, even in an environment like this, the ability to listen is really hard. And that's partly because as human beings, we have a very limited concentration span. Some people say they reckon it's only a few seconds long. Others say, no, it's probably a few minutes. But your ability to focus in your listening is really only limited to a few minutes, which means even though you are all physically in the room, not all of you are mentally in the room. In fact, over the course of the last 15 minutes, every single person in this room has left at least once. Some of you went home. Some of you went down to the beach. Some of you went home and started on lunch. Some of you are watching a movie right now. Some of you are thinking about the footy last night. Some of you went places we don't even want to know. <laughs> right? That's normal. It's human nature. that We all do that. We cannot have focused attention for much longer than a few minutes or a few, a few seconds. So listening requires discipline. It requires focus. It requires intentionality. That's what I'm talking about. I'm not just talking about hearing. I'm talking about listening. You have to be deliberate. And that's why I often encourage people to take notes is because taking notes is a form of active listening. When, when you take notes, when someone is speaking, not only are you internalizing it and reinforcing it and, and creating a record of what you are hearing, but it enables you to listen at multiple levels. Because while I'm speaking to you, you are hearing what I'm saying, but at the same time, there's an internal conversation that you are having with yourself about what I am saying. And it's important for you to pay attention to that too. So every time I make a statement, you think a thought about that statement. You might have a question. You might think of something related or connected. And so there are at least two levels of listening going on there. And when you take notes, it allows you to not only capture what I'm saying, but to capture what you're thinking about what I'm saying. And then, of course, the third level of listening is what God's saying to you right now in this moment. Because both through what I'm saying and what you are saying to yourself about what I am saying could be the means by which God speaks to you. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's complicated, right? So listening is a lot harder than just hearing. It takes intentionality, it takes focus, it takes discipline, and it's listening, not hearing, that is the pathway to wisdom. We need to learn to listen. And of course, one of the hardest things to do is to listen when someone is telling you something you don't want to hear, but that you might need to hear. That's why Proverbs 15:31 says, if you listen to constructive criticism, you will be at home among the wise. Hey, that's one of the hardest things in life to do, right? Is to listen to somebody who's offering you constructive criticism, especially when it's unsolicited. <laughs> but you want to live among the wise, learn to suppress your pride, zip your lip, open your heart, open your ears, and look for the kernel of truth that is in their constructive criticism. Ecclesiastes 12 verse 11 says, The words of the wise are like cattle prods. <laughs> Painful but helpful. Right? If you learn to listen to the voice of instruction, you will avoid the pain of correction. You've got a choice. You're going to listen to instruction or you can learn through the pain of correction. Both experiences are painful. You've got to just pick your pain. So learn to listen. Learn to cultivate an active receptivity and learn to incline your heart towards those who are wise. Spend more time listening than speaking. And then thirdly and finally, the third thing that we see Jesus doing, it says that he not only sat at the feet of the teachers and listened to them, but he asked them questions. 
And wisdom encourages us to spend more time asking questions than giving opinions. Spend more time asking questions than giving opinions. You see, you can tell if someone is clever by their answers. You can tell that if they are wise by their questions. And today we live in what I like to call the age of opinion. By that I simply mean not that we all suddenly have opinions. We've always all had opinions. And we have opinions on everything under the sun. We have opinions on politics and religion and theology and doctrine and sport. and life. Like all of us have opinions and always have had. What is unique about our day and age is now for the first time in human history, all of us are capable of sharing our opinions widely and freely. Because all of us have these wonderful new phenomena called digital platforms. You go back 50 years or maybe even 40 years ago, there were no such things as digital platforms. We only had physical platforms like this. And if you wanted to share your opinion with a multitude of people from a platform like this, you had to earn the right to be there. You had to have qualifications. You had to be an expert. You had to have experience. And very often what would happen is you would have a, 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 a lineup of experts who have qualifications and knowledge and experience, and they would debate and discuss, and we would all get to access their wisdom as they shared from that platform. But you couldn't just grab a mic and get up on the platform. You had to earn the right to be there. Well, today we have digital platforms and you have multiple platforms. And from those platforms, you get to share your opinion widely and freely. You even get to jump on other people's platforms and share your opinion on their platforms, which happens all the time in the social media realm. But here's the thing. Not all opinions are created equal. Not all opinions are valid because some opinions are formed and fashioned in ignorance. Some opinions are just foolish. Some opinions are dangerous. Now, of course, some opinions are great and should be shared widely and embraced openly. There are a lot of dangerous, destructive opinions out there that are being widely shared and exchanged. So we need to be conscious of the fact that there is something in us that loves to share our opinions. And now we have the ability to do it widely and freely and we do it passionately we're pretty pretty committed to our opinions right but friends here's the truth that i believe the scriptures want us to understand the path to wisdom is not in sharing your opinions it's in asking great questions so here's a thought when you get into the presence of wise people when you get into the presence of knowledgeable people experienced people people who are further down the, the road of life and faith than you do you spend your time trying to impress them with your opinions? Or do you spend time trying to access their wisdom with your questions? Are you more interested in telling people what you think? Or are you more interested in discovering what they think? Are you curious? Are you interested? Do you know that the more interested you are, the more interesting you become? You want to be an interesting person? Become curious. Ask great questions. Whenever you have the opportunity to be in the presence of somebody from whom you can learn and grow, grab that opportunity with both hands. Ask him lots of great questions. Be hungry. Be curious. Desire to know. So friends, the encouraging thing for all of us is that we can grow in wisdom. It doesn't matter how old you are or how young you are. The pursuit of wisdom is an open door of opportunity for all of us. The question is, will you walk through it?
Will you deliberately and intentionally embrace that opportunity? And if you will be careful where you sit, if you will be willing to spend more time listening than speaking, and if you'll be willing to spend more time asking great questions than giving your opinions, then you will grow in wisdom. And like Jesus, not only will you grow in wisdom, but you will grow in favor with God and with men. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, now, in just a moment, thanks for that golf clap. That sounded like we were at Wimbledon. <laughs> You're allowed to clap. <laughs> it's the Word of God. Now, in a moment, I'm going to pray a prayer of blessing as we dismiss and go our separate ways. But before we do that, we're going to sing this morning. The band are going to lead us in a song. And, and this song is a declaration of our love for and our commitment to Jesus. I mean, He is the reason we're here this morning, right? He's the reason we worship. He's the reason we sing. He's the reason we live. We owe Him our devotion. We owe Him our appreciation. And so we're going to express that this morning with one heart, with one voice in song. But this song is also a declaration of intent. It's a declaration of our intention to build our lives on the foundation of His love and on the foundation of His truth. To build our lives on the steadfast, solid rock of the wisdom that He has given us in His Word. So I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet if you're physically able to do so all across this auditorium. Let's join our voices. Let's join our hearts. And let's sing our praise, our gratitude, our thanks to Jesus this morning as we declare our desire for Him. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more great resources and to keep yourself up to date, head to our website. Visit therocks.church.